It's the TEH podcast, episode number 146. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. Hey, Gary. What's new hey. and exciting? Uh, you know, not too much. It's uh, it's just been a busy week. I've launched my new course because it's, you know, the new macOS Monterey is out. Right. right. So, you know, uh, my customer support uh, role which is usually pretty minimal. It's a little higher when there's a lot of people, you know, trying to sure. figure out setting sure. up accounts and say, I saw a, a headline uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, and of course that's all I read because who, who reads the article anymore um, that uh, some folks on older Macs were having issues where it was bricking their machine. Have you heard oh, about that? No, I haven't really heard any, I mean, there's always going to be a few people that sure. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. issues, but I haven't heard any of any like consistent, like, you know, okay, widespread good. issue. Good. So I, I probably need to check the source. It's probably one of my, uh, my more clickbaity sources that, you know, we'll take um, <laughs> an, an instance of one or two machines having a problem and turn it into uh, a corporate disaster, of course. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, Monterey, going from Big Sur to Monterey is pretty uh, lightweight uh, kind of update because it adds lots of new features, but it really doesn't change, you know, critical systems. Um like some things in the past where, you know, Apple said, okay, you know, uh, developers, you all need to up, update your apps and things like that. In this case, I mean, if, it, if an app worked in Big Sur, it should certainly work in Monterey. There's not enough that changed. Mm -hmm. um, there might be new features that doesn't take advantage of yet until it's updated, but uh, it's not the kind of thing, you know, I didn't experience any issues on my wide variety of apps from right. Apple, Adobe, Microsoft, you know, whatever I use, everything just kind of just kept going forward um, without incident, both on my Intel machine and my M1 Mac. Cool. Yep. Mm. Cool. It's funny. I, I've I probably run into the same situation you do. I mean, obviously, Windows just went through a major, quote unquote, major update from 10 yep. to 11. Um, which actually feels more like what you were just describing. It wasn't really that major of an update. It was very incremental. There's a lot of visual candy, but there's not a lot really under the hood. Um, and yet, you know, as always, there are people that have problems. I have multiple different machines, um, multiple different generations, multiple different virtual machines. And so far, every machine on which I have installed Windows 11 just works. I mean, it's Windows 11, right? So, you know, you can, yeah. you know, people have opinions about the changes that have been implemented, but fundamentally everything that was on the machine before is on the machine again, and it's working and there's no compatibility issues, um, which, like I said, because you and I specifically have such a, um, I'll call it a, a higher than average variety of different pieces of hardware and probably a higher than average a uh, load of installed and varied applications for various reasons. Uh, you know, we're actually probably pretty good test cases for for fringe things going wrong, and rarely do we actually have a problem. Right. Yeah. Even like ScreenFlow, which I use, you know, for making my videos. Typically, it's very frustrating. They do have issues, and they haven't come out with a new version yet. And I need to use it to record the actual operating system. So oh, right, right. can suggestion of, oh, don't update yet. Um, <laughs> doesn't work for me because it's like, I need to update so I can actually, and talk about the new system. Exactly. Um, but I didn't have any trouble with Big Sur 
that was like the first time in a while. And I certainly didn't have any trouble at all going from Big Sur to Monterey. So, uh, so that's kind of nice. It was a very flawless matter of fact. I, I think when I updated my main machine, my laptop had been updated and using the beta stuff all along, but my main machine remained on Big Sur. And I think I did a video in the morning and I updated at lunch. And then I did a video in the afternoon without any issues, anything having to be adjusted to deal with it. So it's cool that um, Big Sur is working for you. I, you know, you may remember last week uh-huh. I talked about my laptop. Yep. Um, one of the things we walked away with was that you and I, uh, we have problems too. And uh-huh. sometimes the problems aren't uh, easily solvable if they're solvable at all. I think you mentioned you had one problem that you were still after all this time um, yeah. kind of kind of annoyed by if if not um, beating your head against the wall. Well, so to recap, uh, my Dell XPS, uh, it's a 15-inch laptop from, I purchased it in January of 2019. So it's like uh, two and a half years old now. It, um, and of course it's out of warranty, which will become relevant in a moment. Um, not that Dell wouldn't love to sell me an extended service warranty, but that's not the point. Um, my The story so far is that the uh, battery appeared to be failing. Mm-hmm. So I got a replacement battery, uh, a third party, not a Dell battery. I replaced the battery and it continued to behave in the same way. So I said, okay, fine. I did the research and decided that, um, you know, maybe it's the third party battery. Maybe I need to get a Dell battery. So I did that. I got a Dell OEM part uh, and uh, paid a little bit more, not exorbitantly more. Probably should have done it in the first place anyway. Replaced the battery again. No love. Mm. Uh, Same problem. And the problem was that uh, it would, after running for quote unquote a while, shut down immediately if uh, it was not connected to power. Mm. Now, immediately could be the moment that I unplugged it which is really annoying if all you're really trying to do is move things around or move across the room. Yep. Or uh, it would keep running for a few minutes and then suddenly shut down. Uh, I th- That to me sounds like you know a battery that's on its way out, which is what led me down that path. After my third battery, <laughs> I realized that maybe that was a bad assumption and I did start doing a bunch more research. One of the pieces of of data that I gathered is that when I went into my uh, BIOS, my UEFI BIOS configuration screens before Windows loads to make whatever change I might want to make, it would keep running even on battery. Hmm. That led me to believe that this was, in fact, some kind of a Windows problem. And I think that I mentioned last week that I had booted the machine from a uh, Linux live distribution. So I didn't actually have to do anything on the hard, on the hard drive, right? Uh, just run it from the USB stick. And it seemed to run happily for quite some time. Um, unfortunately, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So with that in mind, I did what a PC user should do before replacing the operating system. And that is I did a full image backup of the entire hard disk. And then after a couple of configuration changes, installed Ubuntu Linux. And I spent a little bit of time configuring it and I ran it off battery for a while and everything seemed fine um, until it wasn't. 
uh, all of a sudden, without warning, once again, the machine simply stopped, hmm. um, even in Linux. So that was, well, it was two things. One, it was the final straw. Uh, but the other is that it really told me that, you know, the problem probably isn't with the OS. The problem probably is with the machine itself. Mm. And um, it's time for me to cut my losses. I mentioned taking the image backup because what I then decided to do, uh, the machine works fine as long as it's plugged in, which is essentially the definition of a desktop machine, <laughs> right? That's what it means. Right. Um, you know, you you're you have a machine. It's always plugged in. It's no longer portable. And I decided that okay, that was this laptop's new future. Uh, it was going to go back to Windows 11. So I essentially restored that image backup that I had taken uh, and put the original operating system, Windows 11, um, and all of its assorted recovery partitions back on the hard drive. And that's what the machine is right now. Um, it is once again. Uh, it's a machine I use. Um, I've mentioned before, I'm in the middle of a remodeling project. So I've actually got two kind of workstations, the one I'm at right now, which is uh -huh. upstairs in a bedroom, but the other one is downstairs nearer to where we live. And that's where this machine lives um, now, like I said, as an always powered on, always plugged in uh, uh -huh. desktop equivalent. Um, and it's fine for that. And someday I'll probably end up cycling it through uh, some of the machines in my basement that are also always plugged in. But, um, like I said, I decided that uh, it was time to cut my losses. And I think that this is an important uh, lesson for a lot of people to at least acknowledge that I am absolutely convinced that this problem, whatever it is, is both findable and fixable. Yeah. The question is, how much more time and effort and potentially money might I end up expending to fix this specific problem? Uh, and the question, the answer, of course, is I don't know, right? It's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I could spend an awful lot more time uh, researching it. I can try and contact Dell. I could probably even sign up for an extended service contract, whatever. But the point being is, that um, it's just an, a big unknown. It's the kind of a problem that seems like it should be easily fixable. It doesn't appear to be easily fixable. It does appear to be hardware or at least laptop related, um, but I've decided not to invest further time or resources in solving the problem. And I think that that is an important thing for people to understand that sometimes, even though a problem might in theory be solvable, sometimes the best answer is, not to. Sometimes the best answer is to cut your losses and walk away. In a case like this, I've still got a working machine. It's a perfectly fine machine. It's just no longer portable. That's what I'm giving up by walking away with this problem. Um, what I've elected to do is replace the laptop. I mentioned last week that I was very, very uh, uh, tempted to hit the equivalent of a buy now button on one of the new MacBook Pros because those are very um, interesting machines. Uh, but the problem that I have is that one of the reasons that I need a laptop, something that's portable, is I need it to be able to program radios in various places. And the software for programming those radios is only available on x86 on Windows. 
So mm. on an x86 Mac, I could, in fact, run a virtual machine and run Windows on my Mac and you know do all the things that would allow me to run the x86 software on that machine. But that's just not an option on an M1 Mac. And unfortunately, the whole point of these new machines, the things that makes them so exciting, um, are, in fact, the M1 processors, the fact that it is Mac-specific or Apple's own hardware. Uh, so... It'd be nice to have one, but it wouldn't solve the problem that I need solved. So what I did, someone, I think it was Kay, our, our occasional uh, guest Kay, mm-hmm. mentioned to us a few weeks ago a project called Frame.Work. That's actually the URL, uh, Frame.Work. It is a modular laptop that is intended to be easily repaired. Uh, It actually comes in two forms, fully assembled or as a kit. There are an assortment of options with it. There are uh, uh, the the biggest, uh, you know, you can do the usual things of um, how much memory do you want? um, How much hard disk do you want? Those kinds of configuration options. And I've, you know, made some decent choices. You can tell where I'm going on that. But what's neat about this is that they have an interface technology that allows the interfaces, the plugs on the side of the laptop that you want to have to be completely configurable and in fact, replaceable at any time, even while you're running. Ultimately, it's because behind each one of these interfaces is nothing more than a USB-C interface, but they have these pluggable uh, interfaces that uh, slide right into the side of the machine that give you USB-A, the big square USB adapter, Mm -hmm. USB-C, HDMI, uh, there's an SD reader. There's a, a, a you can even order additional S, you know, order additional hard drives that way. Um, it's actually fairly lucrative and not that um, horribly expensive. Uh, I've actually uh, I purchased it. I'm purchasing it in kit form, and it's going to show up in a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's going to be my x86 portable laptop uh, in in the near future. Uh, it seems really interesting. It seems really lucrative. I like the idea of how, uh, you know, it's designed to be repairable and repairable, of course, uh, you know, there's a motherboard and there are certain add-on boards like uh, the Wi-Fi interface and uh, your drives and your RAM and so forth. And each one of those you can purchase separately or replace as appropriate. But the bottom line is that uh, you can open the thing up and if nothing else, replace the battery really easy. Um, and the number of configurations that are available for these external connectors just seems really, really lucrative, really flexible, and almost perfect for what I have in mind for using this laptop. So hopefully within a few weeks, I'll have a, a better report on exactly uh, how that machine is running and what it's like and whether or not that turned out to be a better investment than investing all my time trying to fix my existing machine. Cool. We we shall see. Yeah. Um, I'm going. One of the, the, you have the option. It's funny. If you take a look at the support forums for uh, frame.work, uh, you'll see that there are a lot of people, they're asking questions, but they're all very positive. There's a lot of, a lot of good feedback, a lot of good reviews on the device. They're all installing Linux. <laughs> I feel like I'm an outsider because what, of course, I will be doing is um, installing Windows. 
uh, possibly oh, even yeah. just just Windows 11 directly, uh, because that's what's going to run the software that I need to run. There really isn't any point in having a virtualization layer. Um, I'm tempted to run the Linux, to run Ubuntu or something like that. But uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. But anyway, I thought I would wrap up that story of my old laptop. Like I said, my old laptop is essentially getting retired. Um, it's getting put out to pasture where it will simply you know, have, uh, have power at all times and do something less exciting than travel the world with me as it has in the past. Sometimes, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the way it's got to go. I've got an old, much older laptop that is also only runs it doesn't run on the batteries anymore and right. i need it for some older compatibility things I, mm -hmm. I don't think i've used it in more than a year but it's in that same situation right but it is odd to have a 2019 laptop that is in that situation but there you go Sometimes i gotta say i if there's one thing that's a little disappointing is that it's you know it's only a two and a half year old laptop i would expect yeah. i expected more out of it more time out of it um but like i said that's really the only failing um in the yeah. machine so far failing. so <laughs> Cool. Stay la vie. Yep. So, so what's, all, what's on your mind this week? Well, okay. So I had a, an interesting experience that uh, is techie. Um, so uh, Halloween, the night before Halloween, or a few nights actually before Halloween, um, I went to a, a Halloween event. It actually is, uh, it was in this historic house. I think probably every city has that one historic house that somebody famous lived in that right. they give tours at and all that. And in Denver, it's the Molly they Brown. claim it's haunted, yes. Yeah, you know. So... <laughs> So, you know, the Molly Brown house is famous and I've been there in the normal tour. They do something on Halloween called Victorian horrors where they have actors dress up as, fam as famous Victorian authors that would have lived around the time of Molly Brown. <laughs> and um, they read short stories, of course, you know, scary short stories for Halloween. And it's quite good. Uh, went to it and um, you go from room to room um, and you, you get this reading. And it, I like it because one of the things I liked about it, as I told my wife, is that everything we did tonight could have actually been done 100 years ago. There wasn't a single thing. We just right. went from room to room in a house and somebody read from a book. And that was it. There was no phones. We, we could have done it by candlelight if we needed to. You know, <laughs> So it was kind of neat. And in evenings of entertainment that had no technology involved. But there was a bit of technology when we first got there. Because first thing is you had to show your vaccination card, right? either a vaccination card or a, a test. I don't know who would have gotten a test for that event. I mean, I understand for some of these concerts, you know, you pay like maybe a couple hundred bucks for a VIP ticket or something and you're not vaccinated, you go get a test or something. But I don't know yeah. if anybody was going to do it for like a little thing like this. So I wanted to show my vaccination card and I thought I'd rather not actually, I should, shouldn't have to bring it with me. Um, I of course can show the scan that's on my iPhone, but I wanted to do the official way. And my state, the state of Colorado for a long time now has an official app and that official app uh, has things like your driver's license, which I'll get to in a second, um, but also has a, a, a vaccination card thing. So you can use it to show your vaccination status. So say you were going to go to a school and they you're required, you know, to have your, your uh, measles vaccine and all that there is, you could, you could bring up your record on the, on the app <laughs> for the COVID uh, vaccination. It, it listed it the same way, but they just added a feature where it shows an official vaccination card in the app. 
Okay. So this is not something you scan or whatever. This is something that you actually enter in your information. It's actually in the app already. You're securely logged in two factor and everything into the app. Mm-hmm. And it could go and uh, you give her permission to access your state vaccination record. And then it just came up with, oh yeah, here's your co- record for your two COVID shots. And it put it into a really nice looking screen mm-hmm. that was like verifiable and not only had, you know, the lot numbers and other information there, but actually had a photo ID, you know, took the ID from my driver's license and put it there. So I guess somebody uh, wanting to verify your picture, you know, that it was you not you right. showing somebody else's right. card, you know, they were linked together, which was uh, which was really nice and really neat. And in fact, uh, I discovered shortly before that that even though Apple said that you know there's certain states that allow uh, the, your vaccination card to go into the Apple Wallet, mm-hmm. the Colorado was not on the initial list. But I discovered it has been added, um, not through any big fanfare, but just you know I got my vaccination through a um, through a, a big hospital system here, Denver right. Health. I've never actually even been to the hospital except for the vaccination, right. um, but I have now a record with them. And in that record is my, my thing. Well, originally, if you went and looked up my record there, it didn't have the smart card thing. That's like, that's what is needed to put your vaccination record in a system like the Apple wallet or equivalent in Android and such. And I looked and they added that. So when I went to the record, it actually brought up a QR code um, that showed that I'm supposed to use to enter it into the, you know, I could use an Apple wallet. It could just read that and say, oh, okay, I have all the information I need mm-hmm. here. And you know, the funny thing was, of course, looking at it on my phone, I'm like, how do I scan a QR code? I was going to say, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, and I, I was like, there's probably a way I thought about it for a few minutes. I didn't come up with a solution. I just took a screenshot and I'm sitting at my computer and I just pointed the camera at the right picture there. And it instantly did that. So I have my vaccination card in the Apple wallet to bring up, which isn't actually as nice. It's just the it shows the QR code. It shows my status, and that's it. I guess the idea is it's the standard. It's somebody checking would have a scanner, and they would, would have a QR reader. Yeah, and yeah. that reader. And uh, but if I actually go to the my Colorado app, the official app, it does the same thing, but with my ID and in a much nicer looking screen. So one use of digital IDs. The second use was that they asked for my ID. Because number one, I had purchased tickets, mm-hmm. you know, and it was all digital tickets. So they just had my name. So there's like, uh, do you have your driver's license? And um, I was about to kind of like show them how, oh, I could just press another button in the same app and it will bring up my driver's license. But before I could get my finger to the button, they said, it's in the app. Just press that button there. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, all right, we both know. We both know. We're both smart. <laughs> so I brought up my my driver's license and I was kind of impressed how it's updated, you know, and probably the last time I looked at it was more than a year ago. Right. So the Colorado app, the driver's license is pretty sophisticated. Um, it has, it, first of all, it looks very much like the real thing. It's very intricate, you know, in terms of graphics and all that. Mm-hmm. It has some security features on it. And I actually found a document online provided by the state for bars. Oh, right. How to how to use the digital ID to verify that the person's, you know, it's a real thing. Right. And things I didn't even notice on it. Like one is if I move my phone around, there is uh, the state flower, the Columbine is imprinted on the driver's license, but it's not static. 
if I move my phone around, the driver's license will move, will float behind it. Interesting. Yeah. So taking a screenshot would not work. Right. Um, also, if I tap and hold on the driver's license, my birthday and the driver's license number and the fact that I am 21 plus enlarges on the card. Okay. So in a low light situation where the person right. might have trouble reading it, all I do is tap there and those enlarge, but it's also a security feature. If you tap the screen, that's got to happen else it's right. not real. Right. Um, so that super cool. It also has the same barcode that's on the back. That's been on the back of Colorado driver's license as long as I can remember. Right. So somebody could scan it as well. Um, and, uh, and it's pretty cool. Another cool feature of it, uh, is you can select to hide information in various situations. So you can actually select to have your address hidden. If your only plan is to use it to verify your age at a bar. Sure. Makes so sense. The bouncer is kind of creepy <laughs> and you don't want them to know your address. Uh, you can, you can hide that and they won't see it. You, you have to, you know, you would have to go in and change that setting. Right. Um, so that's kind of neat. That's like a big advantage to why to use it. Uh, you know, that's not, um, uh, that you wouldn't have on a regular card, a nice safety feature. Right. Right. Uh, let's see. Oh, and apparently, uh, the, it will also receive regular updates. So if somebody did try to actually build a fake app and have the Columbine moving and, you know, simulate the other things and all that, mm -hmm. um, then it could go out of date at any time if they change something on how the app works. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I did also wonder if now can I just leave my driver's license at home? Um, and I did some research. And I think we talked about this maybe two years ago on the show <laughs> uh, about digital IDs. Right. And the answer was uh, no. There's still so many ways <laughs> that you need your, your, but it's getting a lot closer. Right. So I found out at the site that the uh, Colorado State Police are now, they have to accept this. Okay. So um, being stopped on a highway, no problem. You've got, this is fine. And they have a running list of local police departments that also have switched over to now allowing this, including uh, in Denver, where mm -hmm. I am, and mm -hmm. most of the major, um, you know, other towns I passed through. I couldn't really think of too many, like, was, you know, but I see a few others. Oh, yeah, I passed through there, I passed through there uh, on various drives. So in a variety of places, it looks like the uh, this is has to be accepted by anybody. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. And also, it was interesting that showing the bars, you know, the bars could do whatever they want, but the, uh, you know, having all this documentation and all that. Matter of fact, it was uh, the PDF that I saw, I actually found through a bar website. Although it, I could then find it at the Colorado site too, but it was a bar website for bars mm -hmm. about things. And it was saying, oh, here's what you need to know about accepting this. So they seem to be kind of on board. And then I also tried to think about like in the last 10 years, uh, whenever I had to show my driver's license in a situation where I didn't know in advance, I mean, it's one thing if I'm going somewhere and I know I need my driver's license and I could just take it with me, but just being like, you know, carted at a restaurant because right. we're in glass of wine or something like when's it been a surprise and it really it hasn't come up so I'm, I'm kind of i've actually ventured out of the house a few times now 
without my actual driver's license, just the one on my phone. (laughs) Um, The the one place that seems like it could be the sticking point, but may not be for much longer, is TSA. Okay. So TSA, uh, the answer when we talked about this last time was no, they just don't accept it. Right. um, And all that. But they seem to be getting closer because actually they had a press release back in April saying that they were seeking... um, uh, you know, comments from the public on switching mm-hmm. over to accepting uh, your digital ID. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was April. We could be looking at seeing maybe this pretty soon. I mean, it's certainly from a tech standpoint, you know, I understand this is actually better. Right. Then, you know, you could say, oh, it couldn't be fake somehow. Well, it's, it'd be hard to fake. Right. And a it's a lot easier to fake one. it. It's easier yeah. to fake a card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and of course, in at a very official situation, uh, like going through TSA, they're going to be checking anyway. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, the card looks good, go through. Right. It's there's computers there, and you know, you scan your boarding pass anyway. Right. Um, so, uh, it's the kind of thing where um, you know, having it, it, whatever form you've got, it really doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, and of course there's a whole variety of advantages, including, you know, that safety one I, I mentioned, but mm-hmm. also I imagine, you know, you lose your driver's license. Well, you can't lose your driver's license. You know, you can lose your phone, but right. you get a new phone, you log into your account. There's your driver's license, right? It's one less thing that you have to replace if, you know, you're pickpocketed or whatever. Right. Um, right. the same thing with updating it, you know, if I were to update it for some, like maybe change my address, for instance, mm-hmm. it'd be instant on the phone. Yeah, that's always been a pain in the past. I know that. Uh, yeah, you know, people. I've, years ago, when I worked in the grocery store, they'd show me a driver's license, and the address didn't match what's on their check. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's a lot of uh, big advantages. I definitely think we should be moving in that direction. I'm jealous. Um, I got to say, I'm jealous. I mean, Washington isn't isn't nearly that close to to that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. The uh, when I when I, I mean, we've just gone to uh, the. We were forced with a number of other states to improve our driver's license in order to make TSA security requirements. Oh, yeah. Really? Our original okay. driver's license did not meet their spec. Uh, ah. But now our, I think, at least our enhanced driver's licenses do. It's a slightly extra cost thing. I forget what it's all about, but uh, they do. And of course, that's what I opted for just because I want that to be able to travel. It'll be interesting to see, though, how this plays out long term, because there's so many more things other than your driver's license that you still end up playing with. I'm, I'm picturing my wallet, right? Yes. I, I still carry uh, credit cards, even mm-hmm. though uh, whenever I possibly can, I use Google Pay. Yep. And it's now very rare that Google Pay and Apple Pay aren't available, at least at the places that I go, which is actually yep. pretty darn cool. Even the gas pump. Right. Even even when I when I fill up my car, um, uh, you know, you just tap the phone on the gas pump and all of a sudden it's ready to go. Yep. Um, but I still carry the cards around and I'm not sure why. <laughs> right. And then I may my wallet may start getting slimmer over time just because I really don't need the backup card. I need a card, you know, to cover things. But do I really need the backup card and the backup backup card and, and the other card for business and the backup card for business? So there's that, exactly. yeah. but then there's also now all these IDs, uh, you know, in addition to a driver's license, uh, I also have uh, the, uh, what do they call it? Global entry ID, mm. which is uh, another um, TSA slash uh, Customs and Border Patrol 
ID specifically intended to pre-qualify certain travelers when they're returning from international trips. You get a shorter right. line if you have one of these cards uh, and you go through an interview process to get it in the first place. So you've been vetted a little bit more than the average traveler. Uh, I have one of those cards. Uh, I have my, your passport is now available also in card form. Mm. And depending on where you're traveling, the card is sufficient. In many cases, it's not for international travel, you know, like to Europe and so forth, you want a traditional passport. But I believe that if you're just, you know, hopping over the border to Canada or potentially to Mexico, uh, the uh, the card form yeah. of your passport. But it's again, to be. Yeah. it's another thing in my wallet. And I'm looking forward to reducing the number of things. I know that a lot of people, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I know that there are a number of people who are concerned that a quote unquote global ID um, is somehow a bad thing. This kind of sort of sidesteps that by allowing you to more easily have multiple different IDs on your single device. Uh, you know, multiple different types of, you know, you, I could, I don't need a, a, a single national ID. I can have my Washington driver's license. I can have my passport. I can have my global ID, you know, my global entry ID. Uh, I can have whatever else is necessary. My health card, uh, health insurance card, my, my insurance company, you know, my uh, car insurance, that kind of stuff. Each of these are in a sense, a different form of ID, some with, some without photo, um, and just having them all in a single place like that on a device does definitely make them more convenient to uh, to have and to uh, to use. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I mean, you're talking about you know situations where you're traveling and everything, and um, he, I, I'm more thinking of every day. And I, I actually one of the things that kind of pushed me on this was uh, with the new iPhone 13. It's my first iPhone with the MagSafe at the back. And they they sell Apple sells a wallet that snaps onto the back of the of the iPhone, right? And it's just a little it's a card carrier is what it is, mm -hmm. and it can hold two maybe three cards. Okay. Um, so just trying to reduce the number of cards because I was down to I had two credit cards, an ATM card, driver's license, a and a um, health insurance card. Mm -hmm. Health insurance card, it's like ah, don't really don't really need that, and that is technically on the phone, right? Um, I think it's been a long time since somebody like wanted to see that card. They just want the information off the card. Exactly. And I have that. The uh, one of the credit cards I could certainly leave behind. It's usually not accepted in a lot of places anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, then the driver's license, get that out of the way. And that solves a problem. You know, that that brings me down to two cards. Um, and I could probably, even if I wanted to, you know, the ATM card I carry around, I could go six months without using that even once. Right. Um, and so one credit card, but if they, you know, the place takes, uh, you know, contactless, you know, payment, uh, Apple pay, whatever, um, then it's not a problem. Um, so, so there's yeah. an interesting scenario actually, that just comes to mind based on what you were mm -hmm. saying. I would still carry a debit card around because a debit card is what I would need to get cash. If I need cash, right. um, when, are cash machines going to allow us to go contactless? That's a good question. I don't use cash machines enough right. to know. Maybe they already are. I'll have to check. That's right. I'll have to check because it would be kind of cool if they were. Uh, that would save us one, uh, one more card, obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah. And I mean, just a quick search here tells me that um, 
somewhat some of them do uh because it's talked about um, the only trick is you have to make sure that you are with whatever app you're using to manage your cards on your device that you're selecting the debit card and not your default credit card because the rules yep. are different right i mean the debit card is taking out of your checking account it doesn't have a fee but yes. the credit card is a credit card and yada yada so um but as long as you're you're making the right choice along the way yeah yeah i mean and the question is you know i do have my actual um bank card in apple pay and mm -hmm. there are atms in my area for that bank um hmm. so if i went up to it i don't know if they've updated their machines or what but the question is then if i went to a different machine um what would they accept right. and you know so if it's a, the machine bank and your bank aren't matched um you know will it work then i don't know lots of questions there but maybe it's something i need to um even though i usually ignore the atms because i have I'm not using them at the moment. Right. Maybe I need to start looking at them to see whether they take Apple Pay. Maybe even trying to do simple things. Usually, you can get your balance right. 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 So maybe try to use my. I don't know. I, interesting. It would be that boy. That would be great if it turns out that at least some ATMs will work with Apple Pay because that gives me options. You know, if if a store doesn't take Apple Pay, mm -hmm. um, I'm not like out of luck. I just have to go home. Um, I could look for a nearby ATM and see if that takes Apple Pay and then right. go from there. I you know, actually, there's another option too. Um, the whole you know wireless transaction like Venmo or Zelle. Yes. Um, more and more, those are being used. Uh, there's one place where I tip using Venmo. Another oh. place where I get a service done, a haircut using Venmo. Hmm. Um, so there are places that uh, you know where. It's you're still going to a location and you're still purchasing something, a service usually, but you know you instead pull out your phone and use Venmo to. It's interesting. I have I I have Venmo. Um, I've only used it a couple times for person to person uh, transfers, but uh, I've yet to run into retail establishments, uh, places where I would spend yeah. money that accept either Venmo or Zelle. Zelle is an interesting one. My bank, at least. Um, supposedly has me set up with Zelle, so that should work. Yeah, most. If banks, I ever run, if I ever run into a place that'll take it, <laughs> right? Yeah, I use uh, Zelle for at least one service that I get, um, and uh, I I use Venmo for others. And of course, there's the whole taxing issue. It's really, um, I mean, that's all on them, on the you know people you're buying from, right? Uh, to set that up and and do all of that. Uh, so, you know, it's not something I've experienced from this end, but I know that sometimes they complain about it. I mean, not, not that they don't want the payment. That's just that, you know, it's like, oh, they're going to be making the rules tougher or whatever. It's like, well, yeah. you know, they're not going to make the rules tougher. They're just going to make the rules the same <laughs> to, you know, you, you won't be able to like treat it as cash anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. So, hmm. so you anyway. also have something about two factor. Yeah, well, uh, so I did a video a couple of weeks ago on, uh, you know, just two-factor, and the video itself is that important. It's just that uh, the fact that you could store two-factor and, like, have it auto-filled in, like, by things like 1Password and LastPass, and now you can do it uh, on your, you know, in your Mac and your iPhone just using Apple stuff. So you don't have to go to a separate app for two-factor for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And a common question I get is how can that be secure? You know, because they see it as, oh, all of a sudden now 
I go to enter my password and instead of having a get password from my brain or from, you know, this uh, password manager, and then my two-factor code from another source, right? both of them come from the same source. So it's just like, wow, super easy to log in. So that means it must be super easy for somebody else to break into my account. And I think there's a, a big misunderstanding of a couple of things. Uh, having to do with two-factor that, that contributes to this. But I'm talking about dozens and dozens of comments about how could this be secure to do it this way. Um, and, you know, one way to look at it is, uh, first of all, that the vast majority of account break-ins, like 99.9999% of account mm-hmm. break-ins are remote. They're, they're not somebody yep. trying to like sit at your desk or, you know, grab the phone off your nightstand and right. uh, you break into your account. They are somebody in another part of the world, right? Trying to break into your account. And then they get hit with the second factor and they can't do it. Um, so the idea of it being easy to get into your account on your phone or on your computer doesn't play into the vast majority of all account break-ins. Right. So technically it has to be, you know, as I say, physical access, right? So physical access becomes a factor. Somebody needs to get your phone out of your hands or get your computer from your desk and have that physical access to the device um, as that factor, which is, first of all, just not likely for anything but uh, the tiniest number of cases. And the second thing is that a factor then would be the need to log on to the device. So any system that is going to store your passwords is going to require password login. Like for instance, if you wanted to turn off, you know, password logging in and all that on your Mac, it's not going to allow you to use stored passwords because it's too easy to get into. Mm -hmm. So you've got a passcode on your phone. You've got a password on your computer. That's another factor. So physical access and the code, you know, the passcode or password to get into the computer, even if you have physical access, there are two factors right there. And actually, there's kind of a two and a half factor thing because there's also this time limit. Because if somebody steals your phone or your computer, um, the clock is ticking because hopefully you know right away that right. that has happened or you'll quickly find out. It's not the kind of thing like in the old days uh, or actually currently, you know, a password could be stolen and used three months later to break into an account. Right. Um, you've got, you know, somebody steals your iPhone, you may, they may have hours or the most a day or two, uh, to use a password that they could find on that phone to break into account before hopefully the person, you know, kills the phone, you know, or, um, you know, disables it or changes passwords and that kind of thing. It's, um, so it's kind of like two and a half factors, right. you know, with the t- clicking talk being the, uh, clicking no, ticking clock. There we go. Being <laughs> the other uh, factor. So, uh, so yeah. But I, I mean, it is incredible the number of people that I think um, you know. It's I think it's a fairly just normal kind of logic puzzle there to see how easy it is to use two factor once you have this set up, and it's, then to think it's too easy. It can't be secure. Two factor is so much magic to a lot of people, and I, I yeah. totally get that. I really do. Um, it's, it's, it's not something that's easily relatable to the real world. Right. Um, it's, it's, like I said, it is just so much magic. So I can absolutely understand, uh, 
you know, people having that reaction, but um, totally agree. I mean, it's, it's the, the fact that two factor is on uh, is it makes your local life a little bit harder, but what it's really doing, as you say, is protecting you from all those attacks that are coming from other places where they right. don't happen to have your second factor, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's just not available. Plus the fact is that the easier you make it to use two factor, the more people will use it and the more likely you will be to use it. Because if it's a pain, if it's like a website, you need to log into every day right? and it's not going to like save your account. If you have to log right. in every day and right. it's going to ask you for two factor, your people are going to be more likely to say, no, just yep. password, regular yep. password that I could get in. And now they're vulnerable to an attack from somewhere else in the world. Whereas if you make it easy for that, for the actual real person to get in by recognizing that, okay, uh, they have devices that are their devices that, you know, are going to have the second factor on them. Um, then it's, you know, a larger percentage will use them. Uh, you will have a larger chance as an individual of, of deciding to use it. And then that will protect you from that 99.999% of all the attacks that are actually coming from elsewhere. So, so yep. I think that's, I mean, it's important and, and it's frustrating to, cause, uh, even explaining this, I, I feel I wasn't able to convince everybody that it, asked me the question. It's difficult. It's a difficult, it's a difficult one to put into perspective for people because like yeah. I said, they don't have that same um, framework or understanding. I mean, let's face it. I feel comfortable with two-factor authentication and how it works primarily because I kind of sort of understand public key cryptography, which is what <laughs> it's all based on. Right. Expecting normal people to understand public key cryptography as a basis for securing their account is probably not a realistic expectation. So that's that's where our job uh, is both important and difficult, right? To translate these kind of issues into uh, words and concepts that are easier to digest. Right. Well, but, and for me, it's even like when there's a technology that's hard to understand, like uh, if I go back to, you know, when blockchain and cryptocurrency started, Sure. And it was probably a couple of years before I cared enough to actually read about how it works. Mm -hmm. But before I did, my default was there's a lot of really smart people that are talking about this and saying it's important and it works really well. My default is that I'm sure there are really good reasons why it works well. Believe the so, smart people. Yep. Yeah, because <laughs> there's not just, not just, you know, it's not like one source it's like all of these sources right. and when it comes to two factor it's like oh you've got all the big tech companies all the uh, companies setting up different accounts all the you know different apps and and systems in place you know all a lot of smart people so to me if i didn't understand how two factor worked i would be like well until i get a chance to understand it my default would be to there are a lot of smart people that you know give it a thumbs up so it's believe the smart people, it, believe yeah, the I, smart people. And, and I want to understand. So I will at a later time. Sure. Um, yeah, I get, I still do get pushback on two factor authentication just in general, regardless of how it's implemented. Yeah. And, um, I keep falling back on, you know what it security professionals around the world consistently, uh, all agree that the single best thing you can do to improve the security of your account is to add two-factor authentication to it. Even if it's SMS, um, 
Yes. You know, and then of course you hear that, well, that SMS can be hacked. Yes, it can. But the chances of it happening um, are very low as for you as an individual. And even with two-factor authentication, you're more secure than without it. Right. Oh, sure. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just one of those things where uh we keep to ha- uh, you know, we we keep doing what I was saying earlier, trying to put it in terms that um, are easy to uh, to digest and uh, keep uh, banging the drum that uh, this well, is this is the best way to keep yourself secure. Well, and and this will actually make a good transition into our next thing. But I often refer to it like when somebody says like, "Oh, they can get around it this way or that way." I say that's spy movie stuff um, <laughs> because it is. You know, the idea that somebody's going to like try to like target you and follow you around and learn your patterns and get to steal your phone and know the passcode to break in is like kind of ridiculous, especially considering that there are other ways, like for instance, the very simple way that uh, you could be tricked into giving up a two-factor SMS code, which is somebody actually just calling you and saying, oh, hello, sir, I'm from the IRS slash government slash company you do business with. Uh, We're sending out a a special test code to verify your account. It should be arriving now. Can you tell me what that code is? And then they get a little text message that's, you know, 111-2222. And they're like, oh, that's what it is. Okay, well, thank you, sir. Uh, your account is confirmed. And all that was was somebody trying to break into your account, right. knowing the code will come to you. So they call you to get you. And then if you don't notice that, hey, why is this person saying they're from one thing? And I'm getting a confirmation code, a two-factor code from another thing. You and know, why is here. my bank account empty? Yes. And uh, Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like, but that's an easy technique. Or even going back to people saying, hey, my, I don't want to use my credit card online because it could be stolen. So when you're in a a restaurant and you go to pay the bill, you hand your credit card to a waiter who's getting paid less than minimum wage (laughs) and they're taking it into the bank for into the back for five minutes and bringing it back out to you. Now, do you really think somebody is going to try to steal your card the hard techno way to do it? Or just, you know, a waiter can probably get like 20, 30 cards a night working at a restaurant. I mean, there are easy ways to do things. And sometimes it's fun to look at the hard ways, but, um, but they're just not, that's just not, doesn't make as much sense. It doesn't make for good headlines either. I will say that I think um, the last time my credit card was, was compromised or maybe the time before that um, I actually was able to narrow it down to, yep. I used this credit card at that restaurant in an airport. There you go. And uh, you know, airport is a wonderful place to be doing that because they know you're leaving town for a while. So you won't be able to react as quickly if something happens to uh, to the credit card usage. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, in my case, American Express caught it real quick. But uh, the other thing is, and this is actually changing. What you mentioned is that you know the the uh, the waitstaff takes the credit yes. card into the back. Yes, um, I you remember a couple of years ago when we were up in Canada. That was just not heard of, right? They had a device that they would bring to your table and the, the card never left your site. That seems to be happening more and more. I am running into that more and more. It's not as much as I would like. Um, and certainly the case that I described where my card was used um, at the airport, they did take it into the back and who knows what they did with it. But I am now seeing more and more devices that are being handed over. And a lot of it, I think we actually have COVID to thank for it because now a lot of these cases, they don't want to touch your card, right? They Mm. want you to insert the card into the device that they're holding and then pull it out. And that's 
all of it, right? They You don't touch their equipment. They don't touch your card. Um, so I think that that has perhaps exp- expedited a few things uh, with respect to that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is that um, because of COVID, I went to my local diner um, or cafe and I did two things that I definitely did 10, 20 years ago in international cities, but didn't do in the United States until COVID. One is I sat on a table on the sidewalk. Oh, right. You know, in a very cafe like European style. And the second is when the meal was done, they brought out one of the card readers and I inserted the card myself. Actually, Mm -hmm. I I used my iPhone, did Apple Pay. Sure. And and it was all done on the little device, just like it's been done for a long time in Europe. And that all happened because of COVID. Suddenly, yep. my little local diner a few blocks from me yep. is now like a Parisian cafe. <laughs> I, I do think a lot of the, the contactless or the insert card scenarios for credit card payments um, have been uh, accelerated because of COVID and just not yep. wanting to have things handed around. So you said there was a segue. Tell me your segue. Spot, well, I said, uh, say, you know, somebody's trying to steal your password and stuff. You know, it's, you know, your scenario is kind of like spy movie scenario, not real life scenario. And speaking of spy movies, uh-huh. I went to the theater for the first time since February 2020 um, <laughs> and saw a spy movie, No Time to Die. Oh, uh, I was going to ask if that was going to be it. I haven't seen it yet. Yes. Yeah, so I won't um, say anything about it, good, movie, bad, thumbs was, up, thumbs down. It, uh, thumbs up. Um, okay. okay. I, I, it was my first time back in the theater in the longest gap going to movies since I was a child. Sure. Uh, by far. So yeah, it was interesting going in. I mean, of course it was one of the theaters that had the reclining seat to lots of spacing and such. Yeah, if you're going to go. Even, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I even think that t- it didn't, I didn't see anybody who wasn't together seated uh, in the next seat. So I I'm, almost seemed like the reservation system spaced you know, put one oh, seat between everybody. Yep, Maybe yep, that nice. could have just been out, you know, people doing it naturally. Right. Um, but other than that, it was pretty, uh, it was, you know, pretty normal situation. You know, there was contactless payment for food and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there were some normal COVID things. Uh, it wasn't a very crowded situation. So sure. um, it, you know, I couldn't really tell like that, that much had changed, but um, and also I bought tickets online. I didn't see anybody buying actual tickets to the theater. So I don't know if they even offer that. It was everybody walked in, had their phone right. and somebody came up and then you were wearing masks. Most people wore masks, although it was not required, but I did notice most people wearing masks, uh, even during the movie, it's mm-hmm. not hard to wear a mask during a movie because sure. you're just sitting there. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and yeah, so. So got that done. I don't know if I'll be going to the movies as regularly as before, but it was nice to actually uh, get out there and, act, you know, uh, it was nice to find that Maria Menudos uh, survived COVID. Uh, <laughs> it was nice to see her at the end. You know, it's funny, the weird things that you don't, you know, that you, uh, you know, Maria Menudos is the celebrity that does the little intro stuff before the movies, Ah, uh, you know, the ads, you know, she's like the host. Uh-huh. Or whatever. And it's the kind of thing where you know, oh, the ads before the movies are, but then, you know, after <laughs> a year and a half away, you're like, I, I can't wait to see her again. <laughs> I want to see the ads. I want to okay. see the trailers. I want to see everything. The, the trailers. Yes. The ads, not so much. That's well, a even though of, that's I didn't a, care. I was just happy to be in a movie a theater. level of desperation. I haven't yes, quite reached yet. Level but... of desperation. <laughs> Anyway, we so we unfortunately our our lives are still pretty busy right now with random things, but we definitely want to get out to a theater specifically for Dune. 
Dune supposedly yes. is very, very well, visually appealing. I already um, watched it on my big screen TV in the basement because yeah. I have HBO Max. So I just sure, I sure. just went ahead and watched it. We we have it also, uh, but it's a, one of those things where, you know, if we're going to pick a movie to go see in a theater, this one seems like, like yeah. a winner. Even if the movie is bad, which I hear it's not, um, even if the movie is bad, um, the visuals will, will probably make up for it. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of visuals... Uh, you mentioned a few weeks ago, having watched Squid Game, we yes. had a friend uh, basically over to visit and we ended up watching the first episode and then we watched the second episode and mm. then we had to watch the rest. <laughs> of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, dang it. Got hooked. Yeah. Um, it's uh, we've we've characterized it as one of the most violent movies or shows that we've seen in a very long time sure we're comparing it to uh, like kill bill uh, mm. in terms of of blood and gore uh, it's different don't don't you know if don't think you're going to see bill uh, kill bill if this is if the, you end up watching squid game but yeah. there's definitely moments of that kind of of stuff happening especially in the first couple of episodes we were fascinated by it. It was really interesting. Mm. And I, I vaguely remember you mentioning the twist. There is a twist. And that one absolutely caught us by surprise, uh, which which I thought was kind of kind of an interesting thing to, uh, to do. What I also noticed is that they kind of sort of leave it wide open for Squid Game 2. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hey, and if you want to feel even more dumb for not <laughs> seeing the twist... Uh, go watch one of the YouTube videos where they run down every single clue that is given to you. Oh, yeah. The entire thing. And then you'll be like, how did I miss all of these clues to the twist from the very beginning? Uh, right. Anyway. Right. It was it was interesting. So I, I we ended up enjoying it. We we uh, surprisingly so I wasn't I was not convinced uh, based on just hearing what I was hearing. Yeah. But uh, after having sat through it and watched it all. Uh, yep, we ended up being one of those people that uh, made it the uh, uh, the most watched show on Netflix ever. I I think this is might be the beginning of the the internationalization of um, you know uh, video uh, entertainment with movies so. and television because yeah. this is a, a Korean show. Right. They they didn't do it in English. I mean, you could watch it with English subtitles or with English, you know, dubbing and all that. Right. But it's, they, you know, I think because this show did so well, right. I think now we're going to see more and more shows uh, from other countries, uh, whether it's Asia or Europe or wherever um, that just say, you know, we don't have to make this in, you know, in English, or we don't have to uh, make, we'll make it in French and then if it's good, then they'll in America, they'll make an English language version of it or something. They'll they could just go whatever. ahead yep. and make the thing and say this. Yeah, it's not in English, but that's fine. People so two, in America still watch it. Two things. Um, one is I kind of feel like we were ahead of the curve on this one because I've mentioned here actually before yeah. that uh, some of the shows I've mentioned for this segment have been so-called Nordic noir. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, the the us, shows yeah. that are show uh, that are uh, filmed in uh, Iceland and Denmark. And I think one of them was in Sweden, no, Norway. Uh, and they're great shows. And, and it's a mix. Sometimes it's English dubbed. Sometimes it's native with subtitles. Uh, mixed feelings about both approaches. Yeah. The second thing is, and this is the one I'm really interested to see 
if and when it takes off. You've heard of the technology over the last few months where they can dub a movie in another language and adjust the video so that the lips match. Oh, mm. Uh, so they're actually doing, it's not quite uh, deep fake, but it's deep fake-ish technology to make the characters actually appear as if they're saying the different languages. And it's apparently significantly more natural than watching a dubbed version. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't either. I want to, I, I want to see it before, before I, uh, you know, get, get too, uh, get too up in arms about it. But um, I think it'll be interesting to see when it happens and how it turns out and if it makes a significant difference. Uh, certainly, yeah. I, and potentially, uh, if I understand it correctly, it's not just that it's dubbed and synchronized, but it's actually dubbed in the actor's voice, whether or not they speak the language. Mm. Interesting. I mean, maybe maybe this shows that that's not needed, I'm, I'm hoping. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, you know, when I was watching, like I said, when I was watching that show Kingdom, mm -hmm. um, I switched back and forth. That was also Korean, and I switched back and forth. Uh, sometimes I turned off the English dubbing mm -hmm. and watched and read the subtitles and listened to them speaking Korean mm -hmm. um, to, I guess, enhance the actor's performance, right? Or right. myself. Um, and then other times I kind of got lazy and you know, didn't want to be reading and I switched back, sure. but uh, you know, I kind of like all those options and yep. I, I don't know. I think, I mean, you know, for some reason I think of the, you know, the, the uh, girl with the dragon tattoo, you know, it's like the original movie was so good, mm -hmm. but they still felt they had to remake it because mm -hmm. it wasn't in English. Right. You know, and it's like, maybe that's, maybe that's over now, you know, with squid game, maybe it's like, no, no longer have to take, really good movies or really good TV shows and remake them. Um, just just because language. the language yeah. is, is yeah. it's not you know, what we think will sell because obviously squid game did very well. <laughs> yep. 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 Cool. Netflix, Netflix is profiting off of that. Yep. So the closest thing we have to advertising, of course, is our own blatant self-promotion this week. I want to point everyone at the article I think, or I consider to be my single most important article of all time. Um, that is the internet safety, seven steps to keeping your computer safe on the internet. Uh, it's always worth reviewing, re-reviewing, and just sort of making sure you're doing all the right things. Askleo.com slash 2374. Cool. And I'll just, uh, you know, since Monterey is out every year, I produce, uh, in addition to a course and all, a free PDF of keyboard shortcuts. Um and I update it every year for a new operating system, made a bunch of changes this year, uh, not just to deal with Monterey, but also new Macs have some changes to how the keyboards look and all. Mm -hmm. So a link to that free PDF that you could download and review or print out and keep by your Mac. Cool. Yep. Pretty much wraps us up for this week. The show notes are at tehpodcast.com slash teh146. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment on that show notes page. We absolutely see them all. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Take care. Bye.